Welcome to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast presented by CoachingWithFroy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithFroy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. My name is Roy Biancalana, and today we are doing part three of a three-part series that I have titled Crisis Points. And we are looking at these three, what I consider to be the three main phases of our adult lives, and I've simply called them young life, midlife, and old life, <laughs> okay? And with each one of these, we're trying to identify what are the issues, the challenges that we almost universally experience uh, in those phases, and how can we mindfully and consciously navigate them to the point that these challenges, these crisis points turn out to be a gift from God because they end up producing such positive fruit, such self-awareness, such clarity, such honesty, that even though we're going through them and they feel gut-wrenching and impossible and horrible, there are ways of navigating these challenges in our lives to where Maybe not in the middle of them, but later on you can look back and say, wow, that was a gift from God because it made me face some things, made me feel some things, and made me deal with some things that I have been running from. And so that is a little bit about what this series is about. And before we jump into today's topic, which is the old life crisis, I want to just quickly, very quickly finish up my little promotional campaign, and if you've been listening, you know, and I'll keep it very short, very sweet, is that in exchange for a five-star and positive review that you could leave of this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen, if you will do that and send me proof of it, I will send you one of my books absolutely free. You can just tell me which one you want. And again, I recommend my newest book, Relationship Bootcamp. Um, but if you've already read that one, request one of the others. Okay, and if you've already left a review and, and a rating, you say, Roy, I did that like six months ago. Well, if you don't have one of my books, tell me which one you don't have, and I'll send it to you. Okay, so everybody that's ever left me up a, a five-star positive review, if you don't have my one of my books, I'm going to send it to you. And just so you know, my book, my first book was written in like 2009, um, and it was called A Drink With Legs. It's kind of a metaphorical title for my relationship addiction. It's a memoir. It's my story of how I went from all the drama in my life to a great relationship, which I now have with my wife. So it's a, it's a great read. It's very personal. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. Um, you'll learn a bunch of stuff. So that's my first book, A Drink With Legs. And then around 2013, I believe it was, I wrote the book called Attracting Lasting Love, Breaking Free of the Seven Barriers to Keep You Single. Okay. And then I think it was 2019. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. 18 or 19 when I wrote my newest book, Relationship Boot Camp, Hardcore Training for life, love, and the pursuit of intimacy. So any one of those three are going to be yours for free if you leave me a rating and a review. But you just, I need you to send me some sort of proof of it. Take a screenshot or something. Um, you know, even though I don't think anyone's going to scam me for a book, um, it just, well, first of all, it'd be nice to see. And yes, I could go online and I could find it and try to read it. But normally in reviews, you don't leave your last name. You know, it's just Roy or Roy B or Sarah C or I, I don't know who that is, right? So um, so there you go. All right, enough of that. 
Ah, let's get to this old life crisis because now we're getting in my wheelhouse. I'm 60, by the time this is airing, I'm 63 and a half. My wife is older than me. So we are in this age range now and we are beginning to feel some of the effects um, that happen, some of the crisis points that can happen. And I want to talk with you about them. Now, as I said in the first episode, if you're 34 and listening to this, hey, you might want to listen so you can better understand your parents, right? Or your friend's parents, or just an aunt, an uncle. People are facing these issues. And the more you understand about the human condition, you know, the more able you are to relate with people and be close with people and um, just have compassion and understanding. Um, I think the world would, would, would go a long way if we had a little less judgment on each other and a little bit more understanding. Um, yes, I know that when we go through these crisis points that we don't handle them very well, that we create more trouble than needs to be, you know, that we do stupid things and we say hurtful things and we make ridiculous choices. So yes, I know it's sometimes difficult to have understanding or compassion and non-judgment to people that are going through crisis points and doing things that we think are ridiculous. <clears throat> but I think at some point when you go through them, you might like someone to be able to come around you with a with an embrace rather than a judgment. And so if you would prefer not to be judged, then maybe we start by not judging others. I think there was some famous spiritual teacher that said, judge not lest you be judged. Um, another piece of wisdom that transcends time. Um, so, so let's talk about the old life crisis. Now, you you remember for the young life crisis, the basic idea, the feeling was, you know, it's the life I'm not living for young people. It's the life I'm not living, okay? And for the midlife crisis, it was the life I am living. You know, I don't like the life I'm living. How did I get here, right? Um, so the old life crisis is the life I'm losing. I believe we we have an innate fear of death that happens from maybe the moment we're consciously aware, um, but it becomes more acute the older we get. You know, I remember my parents are both gone now, but, you know, in their 60s and 70s, they moved to Florida, the proverbial retired to Florida kind of thing to play golf. Um, they lived in a, a retirement kind of community with a golf course, you know, and a clubhouse and, you know, everything from the bowling to bingo to golf and, you know, the whole thing. They really loved it. They really enjoyed it. But I remember my parents, whenever I would talk to them on the phone or go see them, every morning they would hear the ambulances coming through the neighborhoods because somebody didn't wake up from the night before. Okay. Um, so it's like when you get in this older range, you are going to be dealing with death. And that manifests itself in a couple of um, surprising ways. Really what we're talking about here is managing the fear of death. And I want to start, because um, I'm going to talk about some emotional issues. I'm going to talk about some physical issues, some relational issues, and some professional issues. But they're all sort of branches off the tree of the fear of death. So for instance, emotionally, the fear of death, what happens older in life is you have regrets. You know that you're in the fourth quarter of your life, as my wife says. <laughs> um, 
you know you you have less time to live than you have been alive, most likely. And it's very easy to know that time is running out, to know that there's so much water under the bridge that you deal with regret. The, the decisions you've made, the, the choices you've made, the, the mistakes you've made, the relationships that you could have cultivated more, the adventures that you could have taken, the the opportunities that you left on the table. So one of the issues that we face when we get older is just the, the, the gnashing and gnawing of teeth. The regret, like, ah, oh, I wish I could start over again. And I believe this is so true that one of my mentors, a guy named Dr. Gay Hendricks, I believe he was in his 60s when he wrote this book, but he wrote a book called Five Wishes. And the book basically says, basically asks you, because he asked himself this one day, what are the five things that you would wish for on your deathbed? Right? I mean, you're about to die. And, and if you lived a great life, an awesome life, and just, you know, what are the five things that you did that made your life so great? And it, the idea is it kind of gets you clarity on what's really important so that you don't get to be 65, 70, 75, 80 and you're like, oh, I wish I had written a book or I wish I had spent more time with my kids or I wish I would been whatever. You know what I'm saying? So his idea is ask those questions in advance and then get busy with them. So that you won't have regret when you get older because regret is what happens when we age. So this is not the time for us to go into, you know, what is it that you want to do? And, you know, because very often, just because you're in your 60s or 70s or even your 80s, you can still write a book. In fact, it might be the best time to write a book because you're the wisest by the time you get older, right? Um, you can spend more time with your kids. You can do a lot of things that you might regret. So age does not necessarily have to limit you. But the regret can come in from things that you did that you, you can't go back and redo them. You can't start a different career when you were 25. You can't marry someone differently. You can't raise your kids differently. Um, yeah, there are, there are things that have happened in the past that you don't get a mulligan with. They, they are what they are. And so when we talk about regret, while you should be asking yourself the five questions, no matter how old you are, so that you just make the most of the time that you have. I want to talk about how do we handle the regrets of things that we can't change, things that we did. Um, and basically, what I'm going to share with you is an invitation to have compassion and let go. The, health, the, the healthy place is to know that you did things, to sort of have a shake your head moment, but to have compassion for yourself and to have let it go to where you aren't regretting anymore, that you aren't weeping and gnashing of teeth. You, you really understand it happened. Yes, I wouldn't do that again if I had the chance, but I did. And there's a compassion towards yourself. This is not about how anybody else feels about you. That's their business. That's important for me to say here. When we have regrets, yes, we can go apologize. We can go make amends. We can go talk to people and do what we can 
to let people know how we feel about what we did in the past. Maybe we should. But this is not about changing how anybody else feels about us. This is not about a son or a daughter trying to get them to like us again and spend time with us again when we severed that relationship or something in the past. It's not, we can't control what other people do or how they feel about us. But we can control how we feel about ourselves and if we are letting go of our own regrets. And so this brings me to something that I've shared before on this podcast. And it it's so simple, but it's so profound. And I call it the puppy metaphor. The puppy metaphor. And it's simply this. You bring a puppy home from a litter or from the kennel, what does it do? Well, it manifests its level of maturity in the moment, does it not? It pees on your carpet and chews on your shoes. That's the level of maturity the dog has, the little puppy has. It's doing what it knows how to do. It's got a certain level of consciousness, you could say, a certain level of understanding, a certain level, a certain way of being. You can't look at the puppy and say, you should know better. Like you should know to scratch at the back door when you have to go out. And you should know that those are a $300 pair of shoes and you shouldn't chew on them. No, the puppy doesn't know that. And for you to expect the puppy to know that, you're insane. The puppy can't be more evolved than the puppy is. And everything the puppy does is a reflection of its level of maturity and understanding in the moment. Do you see where I'm going with this? At every stage of your life and mine, past, present, and future, Every decision we make, everything we do, is always going to be a reflection of our understanding in that moment. In other words, we can't be more evolved or more mature than we are. So if you're in your 60s or 70s now and you're like, oh, when I was 20, oh, when I was 30, oh, when I was 40, I'm here to tell you, that it's a waste of time to regret because you could not have done differently. You were doing the only thing you knew how to do. For you to say, no, I knew better, but I chose not. I'm saying, no, if you really knew better, you wouldn't have chosen that. You might have un- intellectually understood something, but what you actually did is what you knew, is who you were at that point. Just like the puppy it's going to pee on the carpet and chew on the shoes. You might not like it. It might be annoying, but you can't say the puppy is bad. You can't even say the puppy made a mistake. The puppy didn't make a mistake. The puppy did what the puppy knows how to do. There are no mistakes. You are simply reflecting your level of consciousness at all moments. So how can it be a mistake? When, you, when you're only doing what you know how to do, when you're only coping the way you know how to cope, when you're only acting from the level of awareness that you have, how can you ever make a mistake? You can't. So how can you ever regret? How can you ever said, I should have done differently? No, you could not have done differently. That's like saying the puppy should have known better. So when you begin to understand that you're always acting from your level of consciousness and you can't be more evolved than you are, then how can you ever regret anything that you did? Really? Isn't the only response compassion? Ah, you poor bastard, you didn't know better. Oh, eh, you were doing the best you knew how to do, which was not very good. Right Now that I know I would never do that again, but I can't project my current level of understanding onto my past anymore that the dog could say, well, now that I know to scratch at the door, I should have known what, you know, the day I was born. What? No. The dog had to be trained, had to learn 
So do you. <laughs> so there are no mistakes. There is no regret. There is no place for regret in a conscious person's life. Zero. There's no regret of the past. And there's no blame of what anybody else did in the past. Because they're puppies too. They were just doing their level of maturity. That ex of yours, who was a bitch or a bastard, who lied to you or cheated on you or did whatever they did, they were a puppy reflecting their level of consciousness. They could not have been different. They could, have not, they could not have acted different any more than you could have. If you get your head around this, you will not have any blame or resentment toward anyone in your life. You will understand that we're all fucking puppies. We're all peeing on the carpet, chewing on our shoes. That's all anyone is doing. That's what your kids are doing. Oh, you should have known better. I've ra I raised you to know better. No, you didn't. They're being, they're, they're, they're a puppy. And you as a parent were a puppy. Raising them and according to your level of maturity and your level of understanding. See, a lot of us get older and we start having regrets about the way we parented our children. <laughs> that makes me laugh. How can you do that to yourself? At the time, you were doing the only thing you knew how to do. You were parenting the only way you knew how to parent. You were a puppy. You had a certain level of understanding, a certain level of maturity, and you put that on your kids. Now, you can go back to your kids and say, oh, God, man, I, I, I wish I had known better. I wish I wasn't an alcoholic. I, I, could, I guess, I, guess I, I wish I hadn't abandoned you. I wish I hadn't done whatever I did, but I know it's painful and I, I know the consequences are still affecting your life today. And I own that. But you don't have any regret towards yourself because abandoning your family, being an addict was simply a reflection of your level of maturity in that moment. You could not have done better. Now, if you're a Christian, this ought to make perfect sense to you because Jesus was on the cross. Did he have resentment and blame for these fuckers who are crucifying me? Huh? Did he feel that way? Like, how can you do this? Don't you know who I am? What's wrong with you? You people should know better. What did he say? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Basically, he's saying, Father, <laughs> they're a bunch of puppies. <laughs> they're doing what they think is right. They're, 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 they're crucifying me, and this is a reflection of their understanding of you, life, the whole thing. So he's like, forgive them. And it's almost like there isn't need for forgiveness. It's like, ah, they're being puppies. So he saw it, and he was nailed to a cross. Do you think you can let your spouse off the hook? Do you think you can let yourself off the hook? If Jesus could say, Father, forgive them, to somebody who was crucifying him physically, maybe you could let yourself go for what you did in your 20s and 30s and 40s. I'm just saying. I don't think you crucified anybody. Even if you did, you'd be like those people who did it thinking they were doing the right thing. So one of the things that happens when we're in the old life phase of 60 and over, I guess, is the fear of death manifests in all oh, the regrets, all oh, the things I did, the things I didn't do, the mistakes, the choices, whatever. And you can drop that 
by understanding and really meditating on this puppy metaphor. I write about it in my book, Relationship Bootcamp. I write about it extensively in Attracting Lasting Love because forgiveness is a huge part of relationships. And this is the basis for the only kind of real forgiveness is basically there is no need for it. Forgiveness means someone's to blame. But when you see that we're all puppies peeing on the carpet, there's really no one to blame. Everyone's just doing what they know how to do. And Jesus wasn't blaming on that cross. He had every reason to blame. All I did was turn one loaf of bread and I fed 5,000. All I did was made your party better. A little water, I made it wine. All I did was walk around healing people. And this is what I get? You fuckers? This is what I get? You're going to nail me to a tree. Really? He had none of that. (laughs) Father, forgive them. If if you really read the sentence, it's like, eh, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, There is no need for forgiveness at all. Maybe the only forgiveness is just our own ignorance. Uh, forgive me. I just, I didn't know better. I really didn't. I was being the parent. I was being the young adult. I was being the 45-year-old parent or what. I was just being what I was in that moment. So if there's any forgiveness, it's just forgiving your own ignorance. But even that's not fair. How, how, do, you, how, do, how do I forgive myself for something that I didn't know or understand or wasn't capable of. (laughs) It's kind of ridiculous. You want to talk about getting over your past, letting go of the past? Apply the puppy metaphor to whatever it is you're resenting or holding on to the past. Now, one of the reasons we don't is because we love to feel we're better than other people. They should have known better. So we can look down on them. We can judge them. And it makes our little ego feel a little bit more secure because those are the bad people. They were wrong. I'm right. So we don't really want to forgive because we want to hold it over people's heads. Because when you really understand what I'm saying, you're evening the playing field. We're all the same. We're all puppies. I'm no better than you. I don't care what you've done. We're we're the same. We're all manifesting our levels of consciousness. We're all doing what we think is right for us. We're all protecting ourselves in some way. We're all fear-based and making choices and shit like that. So when you really wake up, it takes away any hierarchy, any, any place where I'm better than you and I'm right and you're wrong. And the ego does not like that. So that's the only reason you won't let someone off the hook for the past is because you really want to hold it over them. And it gives you an excuse for being stuck in your life now. Look what they did to me. No wonder I'm like this. Yes, it was 40 years ago, but still, right? So we can use our past and keep it alive and really not let it go because we can use it as an excuse for our own choices now, for the way we're living now, our attitudes now. Does that make sense? Am I cutting to the bone here a little bit? You know how I know this stuff? Because I do it. I don't learn this shit in a book, (laughs) people. (laughs) You're talking to a coach who simply is reflecting the things he's seen himself do. Just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Okay? So that's the first area is the emotional regret. The second, I could talk about physical things. We've already mentioned that. Like, I'm pretty fit because I still play a lot of competitive golf in the summer times. And, you know, but man, my body's starting to fall apart. Little things here and there, right? They start nagging at you and. And you, you, have to, you have to go to more doctors. You know, it's like, <laughs> you have to get 
doctors for everything from, yeah, your feet are getting this way and, and um, you know, all of our our hormones get mixed up. I'm a guy and it's very simple for me. I just got basically, you know, the testosterone. But if you're a woman, oh, your fucking hormones are all over the map and you got to see doctors for that, you know, and then I, you know, I've got a cardi, I've had heart surgeries twice. So I've got cardiologists and, and my heart valve one time got infected. So, you know, I had the virologist, you know, the, the infectious disease doctors. So you just get older and, and the body is starting to fall apart. Well, it's falling apart from the day you're born, but it's starting to really show up. And so one of the challenges when you're older is because we get so much of our identity. We think we are the body. We're so identified with the body that when it starts to fall apart, it changes our mood. It affects our attitude, right? Because it's I'm falling apart. I'm getting old. And I'm saying to you, no, you are not getting old. You don't age. You are consciousness. You are the same age you were when you were 10. That sense of knowing that you exist, that presence doesn't age. Yeah, the body ages. I'm not 63 and a half. The body is 63 and a half. I'm as old as the universe and as young as this moment. And that's the truth. The more that you begin to understand who you really are, the better you can navigate your older years when the body starts to fall apart. Let me say that again. The more you know who you really are, the better you can navigate when your body starts to fall apart. But if you are the body, then you take the body's aches and ailments and problems very seriously. It's a big deal. It ruins your mood. It makes you scared. It brings anxiety because it's only the body that's afraid of death. You don't die. I do not know where you go, but you were never born and you don't die. Consciousness is. Now, I don't know what's after death. You don't know what's after death. Nobody knows what's after death. Don't let anybody tell you I know what happens after you die. Nobody does. They have their ideas. They know what they've been told, but no. And I know there's near-death experiences. People come back and say, oh, I see the light. Eh, you, weren't you weren't really gone. I mean, because if you can come back and talk about it, you were still conscious of what was happening. <laughs> so, so you weren't really gone, right? There might have been no heartbeat. You might have been on the table, beep, you know, it might be a couple of minutes of that, but you weren't really gone. No one knows what happens after you die. But consciousness is. And so when you know you are not the body, the fear of death changes because, well, I'm not dying and the body's falling apart. Now, that's pretty deep. And that that's the work of what an older person needs to do is to see the difference between the body and who they are. If, 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 they, if, if you get too identified with the body, then the body drags you into its decay. It, it emotionally dra drags you into emotional decay. You start to feel down and low and scared and depressed. But if you can notice that I am that which notices a body falling apart, just like I look out the window and I see the tree. I see a tree, but I'm not the tree. I'm the one looking at the tree. I see a body falling apart, but I'm not the body. I'm the one noticing the body falling apart. Yes, it's mine, but there's some distance between who you are and what's happening in the body. 
And when you can feel that distance, then you tend to the body. You take care of it as best you can, but it is going to fall apart. And when it happens, you meet it with no anxiety, no angst, pure acceptance. This is the how life goes. We're from dust to dust. But consciousness is. Consciousness always is and always was. And so the body does what it does and you're okay. So that's a little bit on the physical side. That's getting to really the deep end of the pool. And one that I think every person over 60 needs to start exploring on a deeper level. Who are you really? The next thing I want to talk about is relationally. You know what I find, you know, when you're in your 60s, you know, and and your children are now adults, 60s, 70s, you know, um, have you noticed how we want to tell everybody else how they're supposed to be living? Have you noticed you become more of a control freak the older you get? Like you start, you, you be, I didn't raise my kids that way. What are you doing with, or with your, with my grandchildren, right? We can become very righteous, um, and therefore really obnoxious and annoying. We get older when we project the way it used to be. And we try to tell everybody around us that my way is the right way and the way you're doing it or thinking about it or behaving is the wrong way. So it's really easy to start being controlling and critical. But it's also easy to become static in our old age, stuck in our ways, right? There's even a phrase, hard to teach an old dog new tricks. No, it's not that hard. We can be old dogs and learn plenty of new tricks. We can learn how to use a cell phone. We can learn how to download an app. (laughs) Now, just for instance, I'm going to get, this will make you laugh. Okay. So, you know, I play some competitive golf and there was a tournament uh, last week, which was the very end of August when I'm recording this anyway. Um, and it was called the Super, the Illinois Super Senior Open. Okay. So it's open to anybody over 60. And there's a couple different age ranges and then there's an overall competition, right? And so I'm, I'm 63. Um, and so I played in the Super Senior Open. Okay. Now, as an aside, I won um, third time in four years. So there you go. Um, but the funny part is in every other tournament that I play in, they have what's called live scoring. Now on the tour, somebody else is keeping score for you. If you ever watch something on TV, and if you look closely, there's somebody walking with the group who has a handheld device that is counting their strokes and sending them into a main computer server, which posts them on the leaderboards. Okay? The players are not doing that. There are scorekeepers that do it, okay? But in these tournaments I play in, which are not on the tour, you know, and they don't have thousands of volunteers, I think there's 1,500 volunteers for a PGA Tour event, okay? It's a, it's a huge operation. We don't have any of that in these little tournaments. So what we do is we have an app on our phone, and somebody in the group um, decides to be the person who will enter our scores after every hole. So you finish the hole. Roy, what'd you have? Four. What'd you have? Five. You know, what'd you have? Three. And they'll put it in the phone and it gets loaded into the app and anybody can open the app if they have it on their phone and they could see the score. Like my wife can follow me as to how I'm doing when I'm playing in a tournament. Okay. They don't do that in the super senior open. You know why? <laughs> because the tournament director said, Roy, there ain't no damn way I'm going to try to get all you old guys to learn how to download an app and put the scores in on your phone. And I just had to laugh in agreement. I I couldn't even say, well, I know how to do it, which I do. But you you see, so it's like teaching old dog new tricks. They're not even trying to teach the old dog new tricks. But we really don't have to be stuck 
and you know, um, static and set in our ways. We really can be committed to growing and learning no matter how old we are. One of the things that gives me the most joy in my job, and it's only happened now three, four times, where I get someone in, my, in their 80s calling me for coaching. I love that. That is so freaking awesome that a person's like, I'm, I'm 83, but I ain't dead. I still want to learn. I still want to grow. I still want to have a relationship. You know, their spouse probably passed away or something, you know, and they're, they're not letting their age say, I'm done. I'm cashing in my chips. I'm going to sit here and just veg until I die. They're like, no, I'm still wanting to learn. I'm still wanting to grow. There are some actors in Hollywood. The one that comes to mind right now is Clint Eastwood. He's like 91. And he recently just made a movie. He's 91. He directed a movie. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Right? You have other actors that are in their 70s, their 80s, and they're still... My wife's like, well, why are they doing that? Because they love to do it, and they're still alive. And... Growing and learning and contributing. Okay, so we 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 don't have to kind of get old and fade away. Um, relationally, we can keep growing and keep interacting and and keep learning. Follow me? Yeah. Now, lastly, professionally, um, here's what happens. I'm projecting. I'm also sharing from my father's experience. There's an there's a death of an identity that happens as you get old. Because everything that you have done, in your mind anyway, of importance, you're not that anymore. Like you're not really a parent anymore. I mean, you still might have your kids, but right, your role as a parent. Because a lot of us have an identity as a parent. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. And you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s. No, you're not. I mean, sort of. But you're not raising kids anymore. Right? Or you had a career. There's going to become a day where I'm not able to play competitive golf anymore. That's not going to be easy for me. Because so much of my identity is wrapped up in that. Do you follow me? And I get older and I can't do it. Who am I if I can't play golf? Who am I if I'm not a parent? Who am I if I'm not running my company anymore? My dad, I think he was in his early 60s when he sold his company. He had a a spring manufacturing company, a wire form manufacturing company. He, he did he did well for himself. He was a workaholic, crazy entrepreneur. Um, and he sold it probably when he should have. His, his business, his industry was changing and he probably sold it when his company was the most valuable to be sold. So it probably was a financially wise thing to do. But after he did, he fell apart. And I believe it's because He only knew himself as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, as a a business owner. And to be retired in Florida, even though he played golf and did bowling and hung out with my mom, he died because his identity died. And within 10 years, he was gone and his health went downhill. I don't think he felt the need to take care of himself as much. You know, because he didn't have anything to live for, right? He had four kids and watching us do our things was always fun for him. But you get what I'm saying is that we, we've we developed an identity throughout our lives. I am fill in the blank. And we get older, those things are no longer true. And that can be a real crisis, 
Who am I if I'm not a parent? Who am I if I'm not a business owner, if I'm not an accountant, if I'm not a golfer, if I'm... And and kind of with this is physically, a lot of people have an identity by their appearance. Probably more feminine people can identify with this more than masculine. It seems to me sometimes that the older a man gets, sometimes he can get better looking. Okay? Very rarely, it seems, that the older a woman gets, the better looking she gets. But you know, the emphasis we have on women and beauty, the culture that we have set up, how we have objectified women, that they are only like sex objects, that they're only beauty objects. And this, this is changing now. I think that's one of the benefits of feminism is that they've wanted a broader definition of what a woman is. It's not just a pretty face or a homemaker or a mother. No, she has brains and she has abilities and can contribute. And there's more to her identity than her beauty. But let's face it. The Kim Kardashians of the world are still out there. The Paige Spiriacs of the world are still out there, which are reinforcing this beauty is everything. And so when you get older, you get wrinkles. Parts of your body begin to sag. And your identity as a young, vibrant, beautiful woman is no longer true. And that can be incredibly depressing. Because your identity has always been my looks. It's been my calling card. It's gotten me everywhere I've gotten. It's, it's been what's got me in the door. It's, and now it's not the same. A similar issue is in professional athletes that, that do sports that have a very limiting lifespan. Say a professional basketball player. By 35, most of them are done. Or a soccer player, by mid-30s, they're done. Football, well, you can be a quarterback and be in your 40s. That's only because they won't let anybody touch you. (laughs) But anybody in football that has to run, they don't last beyond 33, 34, 35 years old. (laughs) Okay, But they've been football players or basketball players or soccer players since they were six years old. It's It's not what they do. It's kind of who they are. And when who you are gets taken from you, it's like, well, then who am I? It's like there's a death that happens. So whether it's athletic achievement or performance or beauty or running a company or being a parent, this old life phase is when we have to face the death of who we have always thought ourselves to be. And the only way that you can live a happy life when those identities have died is if you know yourself to be something other than what you do or how you look. This is similar to knowing that you're not a body. If you are the body, you're going to have a difficult time in the last 20 to 30 years of your life. And if you only know yourself as to what you do or how you look, you're going to have a really difficult time in the last 20 or 30 years of your life. Why do you think people get all the plastic surgery? Why do you think people can't retire from their sports and they play on and on and on and their game goes down the tank until they finally, someone has to kick them out? It's because, yes, maybe they love what they do, but it's because it's who I am. I don't know what I would do. I don't know who I am without this. And so that's the call of the old life crisis, to discover who am I without all the things I have been propping myself up on throughout my entire life. Can I really discover who I am? and discover who I'm not. And to the extent that we can, 
we can flourish in our final days. But the extent that we can't discover our true identity, but that it stays wrapped up in our body or our careers or our parenting or our athleticism or in our beauty, life is stripping that away from you. And then you will, you will spiral in your last number of years. Emotionally, you will spiral. Depression, being down, being angry, you know, being discouraged. And then that yuckiness in you is going to get spilled over onto the people around you. And then people aren't going to like to be around you because you're crusty and you're ornery and there's no life and vibrancy and newness in your body. You're dying right in front of them. But you don't have to because who you are doesn't age. I'll say it again. You are as old as the universe and as young as this very moment. And the mission of an older life person is to really try to figure out what the hell does that mean? And so I'm here for that. I'm here to explore these issues with you. And maybe you need to share this episode with someone that you think needs to hear this message. And if I can help you, write Roy at coachingwithroy.com. 407-687-3387. I'm here to help. I'm here to help process these feelings, deal with these things, so that, I guess you call it, your golden years can be truly golden. All right, that wraps up this series. I just hope it's giving you some pointers. I hope it's raised your compassion level for people at every point in life. And I hope it's just giving you a sense of understanding of yourself and where you are and brought a little peace into your life because of that. And so, until next week, bye-bye. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.